0: Robert Towne's screenplay for Chinatown won an Oscar for best original screenplay. The script is considered by many to be the best script ever written. This is how stories work with Jay Shear. In this video, I'll go over the Chinatown screenplay in detail to explain exactly what happens in 1974's classic screenplay, Chinatown. Now, spoiler warning, if you haven't seen Chinatown, I will be spoiling the entire movie as I walk through the script. And note that there are differences between the film and the script, but this kind of spoils both. We'll start with act one, the setup of the film. Act one of Chinatown starts in Jake Giddy's office. We start on a close-up of black and white photos. A man is making love to a woman in a park. Then we see Jake Giddes, a private investigator, and his client, a man named Curly. Curly's upset. He was right. His wife is cheating on him. It's proved by the photos. Jake consoles Curly, but then Curly suggests he might kill his wife for cheating on him. He says it's an unwritten law that killing your spouse if she cheats is okay. Jake responds... I'll tell you the unwritten law, you dumb son of a bitch. You gotta be rich to kill somebody, anybody, and get away with it. Curly doesn't even have enough money to pay Jake for the photos. Now, let me just offer some commentary here. That line of dialogue that appears on page three of the script, pay special attention to what Jake said, because it's essential to understanding the premise of the script. Jake said, I'll tell you the unwritten law. You gotta be rich to kill somebody, anybody, and get away with it. Continuing back to the scene, Jake ushers Curly out and then gets introduced to a brand new client, Mrs. Mulray. Mrs. Mulray wants to hire Giddies. She believes her husband is cheating on her. His name is Hollis Mulray, and he's the chief engineer for the Department of Water and Power, DWP, in Los Angeles, California. Giddies realizes the Mulrays are wealthy, and so he accepts the case. Next, Jake goes to City Hall. He's sitting in on a hearing on water use in Los Angeles. The former mayor, Sam Bagby, proposes a new Alto Viejo dam and reservoir be built. LA needs water and the reservoir would help. The city council asks Hollis Mulray, name that we know, to respond to this idea. Hollis gets up and simply states that the designs for the dam are poor and if it's built, he says the dam will burst. He doesn't like the idea at all. Now those farmers gathered there in the courtroom and they're getting upset. The farmers need more water for their land. They believe Mulray isn't doing enough to help. They believe that the dam would help them. They even indicate that Mulray may be restricting the water that goes to their farms, which are located north of LA. They're basically accusing Mulray of preventing their farms from getting enough water. Jake Giddies follows Mulray to the LA River. He spies on Hollis, who's examining the LA Riverbed. In the dry riverbed, Mulray sees a young boy on a horse and asks him something about the riverbed, but we can't hear it and neither can Jake. Mulray leaves the riverbed, goes to his car and pulls out a set of blueprints. He inspects the blueprints briefly and then leaves. Giddy's tails Mulray to Point Furman Park. It's getting dark. Giddys has been following Mulray all day. Mulray heads down to the beach along the Pacific Ocean. Giddys watches from an outcropping above, but he's sitting too close to a drain pipe, and water starts spewing out of that pipe. Jake has to scramble to avoid it. So he leaves Mulray, goes back to his car, and he notices that on all the cars, including his own, there are flyers that ask voters to vote on a ballot to increase the water storage in LA. The flyers have been distributed by the former mayor, Sam Bagby. Giddies takes a watch out of his glove compartment and places it under one of Mulray's tires. Now, back at Giddy's office, Jake's working things out with one of his associates, Walsh. They've captured two pieces of information. One, the watch that Jake put under Hollis's car tire, was smashed by the car tires at 2.47 in the morning. In other words, Hollis has been at the beach for a long time. He was there long into the night. Two, Walsh took photos of Mulray arguing with another man, but we don't know who. It's just a man with a cane. While he was taking those photos, Walsh overheard them talking about Apple Corps. Jake's other employee, Duffy, calls into the office. He spotted Hollis Mulray at Echo Park with a young woman. Giddies and Walsh jump up. This could be a break in the case. They go to Echo Park, and at Echo Park, Mulray is in a boat with a young woman. They're paddling around the lake. Giddies and Duffy are in their own boat, and they're subtly taking photos of Mulray and the young woman. Again, they think they've found that Hollis is, in fact, cheating on his wife. Later, Giddies and Duffy follow Mulray and the girl to the El Macondo apartment complex. Giddy's takes photos of the two of them eating lunch. The following day, Giddies is at the barbershop. He's feeling pretty good. He thinks he's already cracked the case. He's reading a newspaper headline that reads, Department of Water and Power blows fuse over Chief's use of funds for El Macondo love nest. Giddy's name is credited for the photos used in the article. Basically, the article is suggesting that the Department of Water and Power is upset about their chief, meaning Hollis Mulray's use of funds. He's misappropriating funds to have a love nest at this apartment complex, based on the photos that Giddy's took. Some of the other barbershop customers are discussing the drought, the water rationing in Los Angeles, and the heat wave. But one other customer comments on Giddy's job. He thinks that what Jake does is sleazy. Well, that pisses Jake off and they almost get in a fight. As Jake's calming down, he does reflect on it being odd that the newspapers got a hold of his photos so quickly. He just took them the other day. Back in Jake's office, Jake tries to tell an off-color joke to his employees, but what he doesn't realize is that behind him, there's a very attractive woman. Walsh and Duffy try to tell him, but he ignores them. He tells the joke, and the woman then interjects. It turns out that she's the real Evelyn Mulray. She never hired Giddies to follow her husband. Someone else posed as her. Giddies is, as you might imagine, confused. The real Evelyn is upset and threatens to sue Giddies for giving the photos to the paper. She and her lawyer, who was also there, leave. Giddies and his employees sulk, wondering how they were duped by the fake Mrs. Mulray. Giddies calls the newspaper to see where they got the photos used in the story about the Hollis-Mulray affair. They tell Giddies... They were sent in by him. He's incredulous. He didn't send the photos to the paper, so where in the world did they get them, and who's posing as him? Giddies goes to the Department of Water and Power to Hollis Mulray's office. He's going to confront Mulray there. Of course, Hollis isn't around, so Jake smooth-talks his way into waiting in Mulray's office. While he's in there, he starts searching it. He finds the blueprints that Mulray was looking at back at the riverbed. They're labeled Watershed and Drainage System for Los Angeles basin. He also sees where Hollis has made notes on the blueprints. Giddies puts the blueprints back right before another DWP manager, a man named Yelburton, enters the office. He asks Giddies to step into his own office and Giddies does. In that office, Yelburton's office, he notices a plaque with the initials AC on it. They have an awkward conversation, but it really ultimately goes nowhere. Jake takes some of Yelburton's business cards and leaves. As he's leaving, he runs into Mulvihill, who he knows. Jake makes some snarky comments that indicate that he and Mulvihill have a past. Mulvihill threatens Jake, but then they smooth it all out because Yelburton says that Mulvihill was hired by the Department of Water and Power. So Giddy's leaves, and he goes to the Mulray's house. He's still looking to talk with Hollis Mulray. The butler answers, and Jake hands the butler a card and says he wants to see Hollis Mulray. As he's waiting, he notices that the Mulray's chauffeur is washing their car. Kind of odd, since L.A. is in a drought. Now let me stop here and say, one of the things to notice in the Chinatown script, which you should definitely read, is that there are all of these minor details that are vitally important to the story. The chauffeur washing the car actually says something about the mole rays. As the rest of LA talks about a drought, the chief engineer of DWP, the department of water and power has a chauffeur who's washing his car. It's little details like this that make this script so good. The butler escorts Jake into the backyard. Jake notices that the pond in the backyard is starting to overflow with water. He looks closer and sees something gleaming at the bottom of the pond. The gardener, an Asian man, says, bad for glass. Giddies doesn't know what he's talking about, but smiles as if he does and says it back to him, bad for glass. That's when Evelyn Mulray appears. Giddies tells Evelyn he was set up and that he's not happy about it. He'd like to get to the bottom of it. Evelyn tells him she'll drop her lawsuit. She also notes that Hollis thinks Giddies is innocent, that it's not his fault. Giddies says he thinks someone is out to get Hollis. He asks where he could possibly meet Hollis Mulray. Evelyn says that Hollis often takes his lunch at one of the reservoirs. So Giddies leaves and heads to one of the reservoirs. When he gets there, fire trucks and police cars are already there. They bar him from entering, but he uses Yelburton's business card to get in, claiming that he is Yelburton, part of the DWP, and this is the DWP's reservoir, so of course he can get in. That's when he sees the local detectives, Loach and Escobar, they spot Giddies. And here's the thing, They happen to know Giddies. they all used to work together in Chinatown. But Escobar and Loach are now higher up, they got out of Chinatown. And it should be noted that when people talk about Chinatown, it's like you really don't wanna work in Chinatown. We'll get to that later. Finally, Giddy's realizes why the detectives are there. They just found Hollis Mulray's body in the reservoir. He's dead. So now, this is the part of the script which I would consider plot point one. Hollis Mulray's death, which occurs on about page 30, is plot point one. It changes the direction of the story. Until this point, Giddy's has been suspicious of Mulray, but Hollis Mulray's death changes everything. Now, Giddys isn't just involved in trickery. Now he's involved in a deeper ring of deceit. At the end of Act 1, we're left with the following questions. Who was the fake Evelyn Mulray, and why did she want to take Hollis Mulray down? Who's setting up Jake and his office? What exactly is going on with the drought in Los Angeles? How did Hollis Mulray die? And since Mulray is dead, what does that mean for Jake? And that takes us into Act 2 and Part 1 of Act 2, which is all going to be about conflict now everybody is at the la coroner's office escobar loach jake evelyn they're all at the la coroner's office evelyn identifies the body as hollis mulray and tells the detectives that she's surprised because hollis knew how to swim so why would he have drowned. Escobar surmises that Mulray must have fallen and was knocked out cold before hitting the water. He asks Evelyn about the young woman Hollis was having an affair with, but she denies any knowledge of it, and then she leaves. Giddies walks her To her car. At her car, Evelyn thanks Giddies for going along with her ducking of Escobar's questions. She clearly knows more than she was willing to admit, and Giddies kind of went along with that. She tells Jake that she'll send him a check. She's hiring him. Giddies walks back into the coroner's office, and Escobar tells Giddies that he's going to rule Hollis's death as an accident. Giddies pushes back, but Escobar basically ignores it. Giddies goes into the morgue to see the body. It's banged up pretty bad. Giddies sees a second body and asks the coroner about it. The coroner tells him it's a local drunk who's been living in a storm drain. It turns out the drunk drowned as well in the LA riverbed. But Jake is incredulous. He was just in the LA river. The riverbed is bone dry, they're in a drought. But the coroner says, well, that's what happened. So Giddies goes to the L.A. River. Again, he goes to the spot where the drunk drowned. All the drunk stuff, his dresser, some of his clothing and things, they've all been washed down the riverbed a short distance. Giddies investigates and runs into the kid on horseback that Hollis Mulray was chatting with a few days back. Giddies asked the kid, what did Mulveray ask you when he was talking to you the other day? The kid tells Giddies that Hollis was asking about the water that comes from the storm drains and into the riverbed. The storm drains throughout the river pour water into the riverbed every night, and each night it comes from a different storm drain. Jake gets in his car and follows the riverbed all the way up into the Hollywood Hills. At the top, he gets out of his car and starts to look around. Then he sees a couple of guys who actually take a shot at him. They shoot. They actually shoot at him and he hides, and then they finally leave. Once they're gone, Giddys climbs into the flood control channel to poke around and see what's happening. Suddenly, a deluge of water comes flowing out, knocking him down and almost drowning him. He manages to get out and walk to his car. He's soaking wet. That's when the two goons that shot at him earlier, Mulvihill, who was back in Yelburton's office, and a second guy confront him. They tell him to stop snooping around. The second guy, he's a smaller guy, even sticks a knife up Jake's nose and cuts his nose. Giddy starts bleeding all over the place. Back in Giddy's office the next day, Jake's nose is banged up and he's pretty pissed. He wants to go after whoever's behind the city's water problems. Someone's definitely messing with him. He thinks it's related and he doesn't like it. Duffy and Walsh, his employees, push back, but he says he'll sue who's ever responsible. They're pretty doubtful that that's gonna have any impact. Giddies then gets a call from Ida Sessions. She tells him that she was hired to pretend to be Mrs. Mulray. So now we know who was pretending to be Mrs. Mulray at the beginning of the film. Ida won't tell Giddies who hired her, but she does tell him to look at the obituary column of the newspaper. It's an odd thing. So Giddy's goes to the Brown Derby. He's reading the newspaper and tears out the obituary column and takes it with him. On the front page of the paper, by the way, we can see that it declares that the water bond issue passes the council, which means that $10 million will go to fund the building of the dam. The dam in north of L.A. that Hollis Mulray said they shouldn't build because it would break. That's when Evelyn Mulray arrives at the Brown Derby as well. Giddy shows Evelyn the envelope that he got from her. He received an envelope from her and it's the payment that she sent to him to hire him. On the envelope, he notes the initials, her initials, which are ECM. Now, Jake presses Evelyn for more information. He wants an explanation for what's going on. Evelyn tells him that she was cheating on Hollis and indicates that she's not really sad that he's dead. So basically, Hollis was cheating on her. She was cheating on Hollis. She's not really that upset that he's dead. It's enough of an explanation to make giddy's stop pressing her but he does ask her what the c stands for in her initials ecm she replies cross cross is her maiden name suddenly a woman comes up to the table to confront giddy's she's either a former client or someone who he caught cheating either way she's very upset with him because of his profession she probably her life was probably ruined because he figured out something about her. So Giddy's and Evelyn leave quickly. Now, out in the Brown Derby's parking lot, Jake gives Evelyn the facts that he knows thus far. Hollis was murdered, a drunk drowned in the L.A. River, somebody is dumping water while L.A. is in a drought, and everybody is trying to cover it up. Giddies then heads to DWP, Department of Water and Power, to see Yelburton. In Yelburton's lobby while he's waiting, he sees a photo on the wall of DWP in the early days. He notices a man he saw in the photos that Walsh took earlier. The photo of the man who had a cane who was arguing with Hollis. And he notes that this guy's name is Julian Cross. Giddies looks at the envelope Evelyn sent him. He notes the ECM. Evelyn said her maiden name was Cross. Giddies looks over more photos. Julian Cross and Hollis Mulray are often seen together. They were good friends. Jake asks the secretary about Cross and Mulray. She tells him that Cross and Mulray used to own the Department of Water and Power. They used to own all the water in Los Angeles. They were business partners. Giddies then goes in to meet with Yelburton. He immediately accuses Yelburton of hiring Ida Sessions, dumping water, and murdering Mulray because he discovered a the water dumping that they were doing, and he didn't want to build the new dam, so they wanted to get him out of the way. Yelburton, of course, denies this, and Jake threatens to go to the press with it. Yelburton tells Giddies that they're just rerouting some water from the farmers north of LA, but they don't want it to be made public, especially because of the drought. They don't want it to be known that they're rerouting water to those guys. Giddies tells Yelburton that he doesn't really want to nail him, but if he's up to no good, he will. So he gives Yelburton a business card. The implication is that Yelburton should help Jake or he'll go down with everyone else who's involved in this conspiracy that Jake thinks is happening. Giddies goes back to his office. Evelyn is there. She asks Jake why people would be involved in this conspiracy theory. And Giddies answers, money. How they plan to make it by emptying reservoirs? I don't know. Evelyn agrees to pay Giddies $5,000 if he'll find out who killed Hollis Mulray. Giddies asks Evelyn, Did you get married before or after Mulray and your father sold the water department? Evelyn admits that Julian Cross is her father and she married her father's business partner, Hollis Mulray. She also admits that Hollis and Cross had a falling out. She says it wasn't over her, but over the public owning the water department. Hollis wanted the public to own the water department, but Cross didn't, Cross wanted to retain ownership of it. Hollis also held Cross responsible for the dam that broke years earlier. That killed a lot of people, so Hollis only built it because Cross wanted him to. Now you can see kinda why Hollis doesn't wanna build the dam north of LA. Now, the next scene we get actually isn't in the film. Jake boards a seaplane to go visit an island. He gets on the plane and he sits next to the pilot who he strikes up a conversation with. In that conversation, we learn that Jake's on his way to visit Julian Cross on the island, and that Julian Cross's daughter, Evelyn, ran away from home at 16 or 17 years old and fled to Mexico. The pilot knows all this. The rumor was, he says, that she did it because she got pregnant. Now for me, the reveal that Evelyn ran away from home and that she was likely pregnant is the midpoint of the script, means the very, very middle of the script. It happens on page 60 of the script. Now, this is what's interesting. This scene does not appear in the actual film, but it does set up the second half in a way that has to deal with Evelyn's secrets and what she's hiding from Giddys. Up until this point, Jake has assumed that Evelyn's not a part of the conspiracy, but now there's too much evidence to suggest that she's hiding a lot of information from him. At the midpoint, we know Jake was set up to be the fall guy reporting on Hollis Mulray's affair. Evelyn is Julian Cross's daughter, and Hollis and Julian were business partners. Evelyn ran away from home to Mexico and was likely pregnant at age 16 or 17. Hollis Mulray had an argument with Cross about something, but we're not sure what. All we knew was that they said Apple Core. Hollis Mulray most likely didn't drown. He was murdered. The DWP is dumping water during a drought, And they're likely doing it to profit in some way. But we also have some new questions that have come up. Who is Julian Cross and what exactly is he up to? What's Evelyn hiding about her past? Is Evelyn wrapped up in this fraud? And how is she connected to Hollis Mulray's murder? So that takes us into the second part of Act 2. We're still in the conflict part of this script. The seaplane lands at an island off California, specifically at a place called the Albacore Club. It's where a lot of fishermen go. Giddies takes a station wagon from the Albacore Club out to visit Cross's home. Giddies and Cross have a conversation about horseshit, of all things. Cross says that it's what he's had to deal with his entire life, but he seems to like overcoming the problems that he's presented with. So horseshit means something to him. It's something that he... Overcomes in his life. Jake and Julian have breakfast together. Cross knows that Giddies has been hired by his daughter. Giddies tells Cross he thinks Hollis Mulray was murdered. That doesn't seem to phase Cross. Julian asks about the police investigation, and Giddies tells Cross that it's being led by Escobar, a man he used to work with in Chinatown. Julian asks Giddies if he's sleeping with his daughter kind of an odd question so Giddys is surprised and kind of ducks the question. Julian goes on to tell Giddys that Evelyn is a disturbed woman. He says, "You may think you know what you're dealing with, but believe me, you don't." Giddys smirks and says, "That's what the DA in Chinatown used to tell him." Julian offers to pay Giddys double what Evelyn's paying him if he'll help Julian find Hollis's girlfriend, the girl he was with at Echo Park and the apartment complex. Giddy's entertains that offer, but then asks Cross when he last saw Mulray. Cross tries to play that question off, but Giddy already knows that he was arguing with Cross five days earlier. He's got the photos, the photos that Walsh took. Cross doesn't like that, but he doesn't react strongly. That ends the conversation, though. Jake heads to the Hall of Records for L.A. Giddy's looks into land ownership north of L.A. We know that the farmers up there are upset because LA isn't giving them any water. Shockingly, all the land ownership records show that almost all the plots of land north of LA have brand new owners. They were recently sold, all within the last few weeks. Giddy's tears the names of the landowners out of the records book and pockets it. He then heads to the farms north of LA. He drives all the way out there, and there's an old, dried plot of land that doesn't look like it's been a farm for quite a while. This is a scene that was also cut from the final film. He checks the parcel ownership by looking at the list of names that he got from the records office, and there's a sold sign on the property indicating it was sold recently. He drives by another dusty intersection, a scene that was also cut from the final film. There's a sold sign on this property too, and there's no farming being done. These This land is very, very dry and not really farmable. Then he pulls up on a guy using an odd machine. This scene was also cut from the final film. And he asks some local kids, what's this guy doing with the machine? And they tell him he's got a machine that'll make it rain. Giddies looks at the dry field and doubts that that's gonna work. He does talk to the guy using the machine, who he calls the rainmaker, who confirms that a lot of folks have sold their land in the area. There's not enough water to sustain the farms, and LA is not giving them any new water. But Giddees does continue to drive further north until he finds a lush area that's not dry like the others. It's a full farm, fully functioning farm. This scene is in the final film. Now, it says no trespassing all over this farm, but Giddees pulls his car into a grove of lush trees and starts to look around anyways. Suddenly, someone shoots at him with a shotgun. It's a man on horseback who has a shotgun, and he's headed right at Jake. Giddees drives farther into the orchard, but gets pinned down, crashes the car— and then two more men show up. The three of them start to beat Giddies up. They ask Giddies if he's with the DWP or the real estate office. Jakes tells them the truth. I'm investigating what's going on. The farmer tells him that the DWP keeps sending goons up to his farm to blow up his water tanks and poison his wells. They're trying to ruin his farm and put him out of business, just like all the other farmers in the area who have already sold their properties. The farmer blames Mulray for his problems, but Giddy's tells him that Mulray's dead and he suggests that this guy knows nothing about what he's talking about and his the way he says that is so rude that the farmer's security guy knocks giddy's out giddy's finally regains consciousness and he's on the farmer's front porch evelyn is there to pick him up the farmer apologizes to giddy's and tells him that somebody's buying up land for cheap all by ruining the farms and cutting off their water which makes the farmland worth nothing so that when people buy it it's super super cheap Giddies and Evelyn drive home together. Giddies tells Evelyn that the dam that they intend to build up north of L.A. is a con job. The dam will be paid for by L.A.'s residents, but the water won't go to L.A. It'll go to the land north of L.A. So somebody's withholding the water from the farms now, but as soon as the land gets bought up, they'll put it in a reservoir, and then that will help the new landowners because they'll have plenty of water. Giddy's surmises that's why Hollis was killed. He knew, Hollis knew, that the dam was a con job. The people buying up property are gonna make a lot of money, but the whole thing is very, very shady. Suddenly, Giddy's realizes something. He pulls the obituary column out and looks over the names. They match the names of those who purchased the farm properties. All the names are residents of the Mar Vista Inn and rest home. Giddies and Evelyn drive to the Mar Vista Inn and rest home. They talk their way into the place, pretending to be potential customers. Giddies starts to poke around and realizes that all the senior citizens inside are the people who are buying up the land. It's all senior citizens buying the farmland. The only thing is they don't know it. Jake strikes up a conversation with one of the old ladies from the property ownership list. He notices that she's working on a quilt that has the initials AC on it. He asks her about it. She says it means apple core club. Applecore? he asks. She corrects him. Albacore Club, the name of the club Julian Cross owns. The director of the home then shows up. He's pissed. He escorts Giddies and Evelyn out. He realizes that they were lying to him. And guess who's waiting outside? Mulvihill. He threatens Giddies. Giddies and Mulvihill start fighting. Giddies overcomes him. Evelyn and Giddies run to their car and escape before Mulvihill and the other goons can capture them. Now, back at the Moray home, Giddies and Evelyn start to get a little bit more romantic. Evelyn asks him if he's ever been involved in something so troubling as the thing that they're involved in now in his past. He says, not since Chinatown. He says the DA asked the police in Chinatown to do very little to help the citizens. Evelyn asks him why he doesn't like talking about Chinatown. He responds, you can't tell what's going on there. You think you're helping someone except you end up hurting him. Evelyn asks him if there is anything that can be done about it. His response, yeah, stay out of Chinatown. Giddies and Evelyn make love. The next morning, the phone rings and wakes them up. Evelyn says that she has to go. Giddies asks her where, and she doesn't want to answer. She says it doesn't matter. Evelyn tells Jake that her father owns the Albacore Club, but he already knows that. He tells her he actually visited her father. She grills him on exactly what was said during that meeting. He tells her that Cross was concerned about Mulray's girlfriend. She tells Giddies that her father is a dangerous man, then says, You may think you know what's going on, but you don't. Now, just a quick note here, that sounds almost exactly like what Jake complained about with Chinatown. Giddy's then responds, You're telling me that your father's behind all this? That's a very confusing thing for her to suggest. But she says, possibly. Now, because Jake doesn't trust Evelyn at this point, he follows Evelyn to a house, to where she's going. He spies on her, and inside the house he can see her butler, and then he also sees Hollis's girlfriend. When Evelyn walks out of the house, Giddies confronts her. He tells her to drive herself to the police or he'll drive her. She's incredulous. Why would she do that? He says, "You've got Hollis's girlfriend tied up in there." She tells him, "She's my sister." That confuses Giddies, as it would confuse anybody. It confuses the audience too. And then Evelyn tells Giddies that she loved Hollis even more than her family. Now Giddies is really confused, and he leaves. He goes back home. He gets a call. The voice tells him Ida Sessions, the woman who pretended to be Evelyn Mulray at the beginning of the film, wants to meet him. Giddies goes to the address that the caller gave him. He enters the home and finds Ida Sessions dead. Escobar is there. Loach, one of his flunkies, is the one who called Giddies to get him to come to Ida's home. Escobar grills Giddy's about the case, but Giddy's gives him nothing. During the exchange, Escobar reveals that he does believe Mulray was murdered after all. Why? Because Hollis had salt water in his lungs and the reservoir where they found the body, well, that was fresh water. So why in the world would he have salt water in his lungs? Giddies guesses Mulray was murdered and moved because somebody didn't want his body found in the ocean. He found somebody was dumping water there. Escobar's intrigued, so Giddies tells him He'll show them. They drive out to the storm drain, and I believe this scene was cut from the final film as well. Now there's nothing happening in the storm drain, and Giddies tells them that they only dumped the water at nighttime. The cops call up Yelburton, and he tells them that Giddies is spreading false rumors. Escobar, now pissed because he doesn't know who to believe, tells Giddies that he better start helping them, or they'll get him for withholding evidence. They'll arrest him for withholding evidence. The detectives are starting to think Evelyn murdered Hollis. They really don't believe Giddies. And Giddies doesn't know what to believe. So Giddies heads to the Mulray home to warn Evelyn that the police are on to her. She's not there, but her bags are packed, which makes him suspicious. He goes outside and sees the gardener working on the pond. He mimics what the gardener said to him last time. Bad for glass, even though he still has no idea what that means. The gardener smiles, points to the grass, and says... Salt water, very bad for grass. Giddies had misinterpreted him the whole time. He wasn't saying bad for glass, he was saying bad for grass. But with the guy's accent, he could not tell what the guy was actually saying. And this blows Giddy's mind. The pond in Hollis Mulray's yard is salt water. And how did, did Hollis die? By ingesting too much salt water. Giddy's goes over and looks deeper into the water. He notices something gleaming in the pond. The gardener fishes the object out of the pond, and it's a pair of glasses. Mulray calls Cross on the phone. Jake tells Cross to bring his checkbook to the Mulray home. He's broken the case and he wants to get paid. Cross tells him he'll be there in two hours. Jake finishes the conversation with something that Cross will find very intriguing, something he'll like. I've found the girl, meaning Hollis's girlfriend. He knows Cross was interested in her. So let me just stop here to say, hey, for my money, Giddy's telling Cross to meet him at Mulray's house is plot point two. Why is it plot point two? Because it forces the resolution of the story. Jake finds the glasses in the pond, realizes the pond is salt water, and then calls cross. This scene forces the conclusion of the film because it forces Giddys to confront Evelyn, which may be the scene that many people would call plot point two. It's the scene that I'm about to read coming up. It also means Jake will need to reveal what he knows to Escobar so that he won't get arrested. And finally, it also means that Cross, Julian Cross, Evelyn's father will now play a much bigger role in the ending one way or another. And that brings us to, thank you for hanging with me. This is a very long video. This is a very complex screenplay. This brings us to the resolution of act three, act three, the resolution of the story. Giddy's heads to the home where Evelyn is keeping Hollis's girlfriend. Jake confronts Evelyn and tells her that she's going to jail. Then he calls Escobar and tells him to also come to that home. Evelyn is confused. Giddy shows her the glasses he found in her pond and says, they belonged to your husband, didn't they? Jake firmly believes Evelyn murdered her husband by drowning him in their backyard pond. He starts to guess at what happened, getting more aggressive with her. She stops him and says, I'll tell you the truth. Her name is Catherine. She's my daughter. Of course, she's talking about the person who we all think is Hollis's girlfriend. But she says her name is Catherine, and she's my daughter. Giddy slaps her and says, I said the truth. Evelyn says, she's my sister. Another slap. She's my daughter. Another slap. Evelyn finally comes out with it. She's my sister and my daughter. She tells him that her father had a nervous breakdown after the old dam that they built, both him and Hollis. And it killed a bunch of people when it burst open. Well, that dam sent her father into a nervous breakdown because her mother died around the same time. Her father became lost in all of that grief, and that led to this incestuous relationship. So when she knew she was pregnant, she ran to Mexico to escape her father. And of course giddy's is shocked just like we're all shocked as the audience because this is a shocking reveal now evelyn talks about how hollis helped both her and her daughter and then evelyn goes on to say i just don't want her to know meaning she doesn't want her daughter to know that she was the product of an incestuous relationship Now Jake changes his tune. He tells Evelyn to run to Mexico. But then Evelyn indicates the glasses that he showed her and says those didn't belong to him, meaning that they are not Hollis's glasses. Giddies tells Evelyn to take Catherine to their butler's house and then head to Mexico as soon as possible because everything is coming to a head. Giddies asks her where her butler lives and she gives him an address. She asks, do you know where that is? Jake reacts slowly. Sure, it's Chinatown. Evelyn, Catherine, and the butler leave. Giddies calls his office and tells his receptionist to have Duffy and Walsh meet him at the butler's place in Chinatown. That's when Escobar arrives at the home. Jake tells Escobar he's too late and that Evelyn has fled to her maid's house. He's, of course, lying here. And he gives Escobar the address of the maid's house. The detective escobar tells Giddies, you're not gonna get out of this you're coming with me we're gonna go get evelyn together and so giddy's goes with him escobar takes Giddies to a home in san pedro Giddies convinces escobar to let him go in and get evelyn and bring her out escobar agrees to that but warns him that he's only got three minutes Giddies walks up to the house a woman with a black eye answers the door this is definitely not her chinese butler's house this is somebody else's house in fact, it's Curly's house. Curly, from the opening scene, welcomes Giddies inside. Giddies takes Curly into the kitchen and convinces Curly to get him out of the house. Curly agrees, and they get into his car. They take off just as Escobar is entering the house. Jake makes a deal with Curly. He'll forgive Curly's debt and pay him extra if he agrees to take Evelyn and Catherine to Mexico in his boat. Curly agrees to do it. Curly drops Giddies off at the Molray home. So, at the Mulray home, Jake is smoking out by the pond when Cross arrives. Cross asks about the girl, meaning Hollis's girlfriend, who we know is actually his daughter via his incestuous relationship with Evelyn. Giddies tells him the girl is with her mom. Cross immediately gets suspicious. Jake hands Cross the obituary column from the newspaper. Cross puts on a pair of glasses to read it. His glasses have bifocals, just like the ones Giddy's found in the Mulray pond. Cross asks, what does this mean? Jake responds, that you killed Hollis Mulray. Jake and Cross then discuss Cross's plans to build a reservoir north of LA and develop that land la will pay for it but they won't get any of the water cross actually corrects jake suggesting that you don't bring the water to la you bring la to the water he's going to incorporate the land north of la into the city of la and it will make him rich because that land will suddenly become insanely valuable as a part of la but jake knows that cross is already rich so he asks him Why are you doing all this? What more could you gain from this? Cross answers, The future, Mr. Giddies. The future. When Giddies confronts Cross about what he did to Evelyn, Cross responds, I don't blame myself. You see, Mr. Giddies, most people never have to face the fact that at the right time and right place, they're capable of anything. That's when Mulvihill shows up and takes the glasses from Giddies, which means he's taking the evidence that, that places... Cross at Mulvihill's house when he was murdered. Cross then says, "'Take us to the girl. Either Evelyn allows me to see her or I'm not averse to seeing Evelyn in jail. If I have to buy the jail, Hollis and Evelyn kept her from me for 15 years. It's been too long. I'm too old.'" They head to Chinatown. Now note, this is a slightly different ending than the one in the film, and although I do believe that the script is better than the film, I do think the film has a slightly better ending, and I'll explain why in another video. Now as Giddies drives up to the house in Chinatown where Evelyn is, he sees Evelyn walking toward Curly's car. Giddies pretends he doesn't see her, but cross spots her and demands that they stop. Mulvihill clobbers Giddies to get him to stop, but that causes their car to jump the curb and hit a pole. Cross then tries to med- make a beeline for Evelyn, but Giddies pulls him back. There's a brief fight between Giddies, Mulvihill, and Cross. Curly, seeing the ruckus that this is caused by this little fight, gets out of his car, but Giddies tells him to take Evelyn and go. Giddies and Mulvihill fight for Mulvihill's gun. Mulvihill drops it, and it skitters away. Evelyn picks it up and points the gun at her father. Cross takes a step toward Evelyn and says, You're going to have to kill me, Evelyn. Either that or tell me where she is. How many years have I got? She's mine too. Evelyn responds... She's never going to know that. A police siren distracts Evelyn. Cross lunges toward her, but Giddies grabs him. Duffy and Walsh show up. Giddies tells Duffy and Walsh to grab Mulvihill and take Evelyn to San Pedro and to Curly's boat so that she can get away. Escobar steps between Evelyn and her escape route. Now everybody's in Chinatown. Escobar and his detectives, Jake and his guys, Cross, everybody's in Chinatown now. Jake grabs Escobar so Evelyn can escape. Evelyn gets in Curly's car and starts to drive off. Giddies almost gives a sigh of relief, but there's a gunshot. An officer down the street has fired at the car. Giddies rushes to the car and finds Evelyn dead. Jake starts to go crazy. Where is he? I'll kill him. I'll kill the son of a bitch. Giddies is detained by Escobar who tells him to take it easy. Jake looks back down at Evelyn. Julian Cross, her despicable father, is cradling her body and crying over her. Giddies loses it. Get him away from her. He's responsible for everything. Get him away from her. Duffy and Walsh collect Giddies and start to drag him away. Walsh's final words hang in the air when he tells Giddies, Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. And if you go all the way back to page three of the script, Jake Giddy's words to Curly ring true at the end of the script. I'll tell you the unwritten law, you dumb son of a bitch. You gotta be rich to kill somebody, anybody, and get away with it. You think you got that kind of dough? You think you got that kind of class? Curly didn't have that kind of dough or class. But guess what? Cross has both. Julian Cross has both. He's rich and influential, so he'll get away with it. Why? Because in Chinatown, where the film ends, or if you're rich and influential, there's no such thing as justice. In a way, it is as Shakespearean as modern films get, and it is phenomenal. The script is amazing. Please go read it. You watch this really long video, but it's just for me to tell you that the script is so awesome and explain exactly what's going on in the script so you can find all of the things that matter and see how the story was shaped i've got more videos covering chinatown that i will record soon now let me know what you think of chinatown in the comments down below don't forget that patreon supporters also get to suggest show topics if you've got a show you'd like me to do consider supporting the channel over there thanks for watching i'll see you on the next